Yeah, the first draft is definitely always the hardest. But like you say, with the mental side of things, when you're writing your first draft, I always think it's just you telling yourself the story. So you should remove any sort of pressure uh, and just focus on getting it all out and down on paper, and then you can tweak things later. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Do you want to write fantasy books and how can you sell them? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. In this week's episode, I catch up with fantasy and nonfiction author Richie Billing. And he's written a number of fantasy books and he's also collaborated on his fantasy books with other authors. And in this week's interview, Richie describes his writing process for fantasy, for world building and for collaborating with other authors across the genre. In the second half of the interview, we also talk about what's working right now in digital marketing for authors, because Richie also has a day job working within digital marketing. And he describes how he's using his email list and Facebook ads to sell books. Now, like Richie, I used Facebook ads for a year and Richie's still using them. And he spends between one and two pounds a day on his Facebook ads. He's based in the UK. And he says he generates, you know, a couple of hundred pounds worth of book sales each month from Facebook ads. And that's nothing to be sniffed at if, you know, you're writing on the side while also working a day job. You know, I use Facebook ads for about a year, but I stopped using them because I found I was spending an awful lot of time, firstly in Facebook, which stresses me out for various reasons. And also because I was spending a lot of time looking at spreadsheets, trying to figure out click-through rates, conversion rates, and so on. So it's kind of taking away from time I had to write and time I had to grow my, my own site, become writer today. But I still use Amazon ads because they're relatively easy to use, even though the platform has gotten a bit more competitive. And they're built for selling books because think of it this way, when somebody's on Amazon and they see an ad for a book, they're one button away from buying your book. Whereas with Facebook, you know, there could be a couple of more clicks away. I spend a couple of hundred dollars a month on Amazon ads and normally generates a return each month. So if you're tempted to try one of those strategies, I would say start with Amazon ads because they're relatively easy to use and they're built for authors. And then if you have a couple of quid a day or a couple of dollars a day, you could try Facebook ads. But that said, the world of digital marketing has lots of different strategies. And the other strategy that I recommend, which Richie also talks about, is creating an email list. Now, I host my email list using ConvertKit. And if you're listening to this week's episode, chances are you heard about it on iTunes or Overcast. Wherever you did, please leave a short review because it'll help more listeners find the show. Or you heard about it through my latest broadcast on ConvertKit. Basically, once you have an email list, you own the relationship with your readers. If you want to get people onto your email list, put call to actions in your book put them at the end of your articles and put them at the end of your work. Send traffic or send readers to a dedicated landing page and give them something to opt in for. It could be another free book. It could be a short story. It could be a checklist, a report, a video, a webinar, a presentation, uh, something of value that the readers will give you their email list for. And then when you have a new book out or when you have a new piece of content or a course or you're holding a workshop, which Richie is doing, something he also talks about in this week's interview, you can tell people directly over email and it works. Think of it this way, when Amazon have a series of special offers or when they see you're interested in particular products, they will send you an email with the latest updates on prices and so on. Now, I recommend using ConvertKit because it's built with content creators in mind and it actually has tools inside of it that would help you sell courses, that would help you sell books and so on. And I've got a review for ConvertKit on the Become a Writer Today site, which I'll put in this week's episode's show notes. Now, with that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Richie. And I asked him to describe his process for writing fantasy. And in the second half of the interview, we get into his digital marketing strategies for promoting both his fantasy books 
and also for nonfiction. And finally, if you do enjoy the show, please consider supporting the show by becoming a Patreon for just a couple of dollars a month. I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software, and discounts on my writing courses. And of course, your support will help me record, produce, publish, and edit more episodes like this. Now, with that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Richie. Yeah, I always think writing fantasy is a little trickier than writing other genres, mainly because of the world-building aspect of it. I think that's become quite synonymous with the genre, um, that there has to be some sort of secondary world, um, unique setting that uh, filled with dragons and all kinds of magic systems and whatnot. George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of fantasy writers go into it and they read things like oh, J.R. Tolkien spent 20 years world-building before he even wrote anything at all. So it's like, well, if, if that's the sort of standard, then people will get a bit daunted by the prospect of it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of challenges to writing it because it's not as if you've got like a ready-made world to reference things to. It's, it's, you've got to create everything from scratch. And that prospect is puts a lot of people off. And then, yeah, that's why I love it, though. I think I love the challenge of, of being able to create things from scratch. It's all down to you, essentially. Um, I don't know if you've had much experience writing fantasy. I haven't had a lot of experience writing fantasy, and I'm the kind of writer who likes to plan their work in advance and outline. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is when you describe your approach to world building, like, can that turn into a type of procrastination, or is that something you really need to do first before you actually write chapter one? I think it's definitely, there is definitely an element of procrastination involved. Um, I think I was chatting to someone yesterday, actually, and he was saying that they always wanted to write a fantasy novel, but they had to well, uh, build the world first before they could write anything. And I always just think that's that's just, you're just putting it off, just escaping the the, uh, the prospect of doing it. And there is an element of world building that is necessary, but I've sort of moved towards something that I, I call natural world building, where you just build what's necessary and uh, for your story and you reveal that information naturally as this, the story progresses and that way you don't spend ages wasting time build, um, creating details that you're never going to use in your story and you write more efficiently. So when you were writing your latest book uh, Pariah's Lament could you talk through how you got to the first draft? Yeah the first draft is definitely always the hardest but like you say with the mental side of things when you're writing your first draft I always think it's just you telling yourself the story so you should remove any sort of pressure uh, and just focus on getting it all out and down on paper and then you can tweak things later. So when I wrote the first draft, I was just focusing on the characters really, um, the kind of the key plot points. And I always say that the real writing comes with the, the editing when you can look back and analyze things and chart the progression points and development points. So yeah, the writing of pariah's lament the first draft it was just a case of just getting it all out uh, as quickly as possible for getting it all out did you have an outline did you have a character arc or did you free write i do a bit of both to be honest i do like to see where the characters take you i think that's quite an interesting way to to write because then the reader doesn't fall into the the trap of predicting what's going to come next and it makes your story quite uh I don't know, quite obvious so I like to have a vague outline of where I'm going sometimes. And then other times, if there's if it's more technical, say if you're writing a fight scene, you're going to have to structure that one pretty pretty uh, meticulously because they're so chaotic and you need to be able to convey the information clearly to the reader. So there's parts where I free write and then there's other parts where I do 
take quite a structured approach. Do you have one pages about a character, as in their physical traits, what they want or what they need? Or do you just let that emerge as you write the story? With these two characters, yeah, I, I went into quite a lot of detail. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Hungarian playwright called Lehos Igri. He wrote no, no. a book called The Art of Dramatic Writing. Oh, I've heard of that book, yeah. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And he has a great system of creating characters called the bone structure. And it looks at three dimensions. It looks at the physiology, the sociology, and the psychology. And if you sort of build each um, pillar of your, or each dimension of your character, by the end, you should be able to have like a, a, a character who's almost alive, like the three-dimensional, and you'd be able to understand everything about them. So like, it's one thing to know what a character wants for breakfast. It's another, re- another thing to know the reasons why they want that. And the bone structure when I was creating these characters helped me a great deal to, to really understand who they are and learn who they are. So when it comes to writing the story and these characters moving through points of conflict and whatnot, they react in believable and more believable ways. That sounds a little bit like Robert McKee. He talks about in his writing workshops about how characters might want one thing, but they actually need something else. Yeah. It's amazing, really, yeah. So do you identify all of that up front, or do you do a little bit of seeing what happens when you're writing your draft as well? I think it's more in the editing side when I take a step back and think, well, this is what this character's like. Does this reaction, is this consistent with who they are? And um, But when you're writing the first draft, I think you do, there is an element of, of letting your characters dictate where the story goes, just mm. to see yeah. the possibilities. I always think we're writing, I don't know what you, um, when you get an idea for something and you, you think, oh, that's a good idea. But then that was just one idea. You could have taken a step back and looked at the different routes that you could, the story could have taken. Yeah, I guess you have to make some choices. <laughs> so yeah. it's never, you're never too sure which choice is the right one to make until you, you do start exploring. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start of the interview about things that fantasy books need to have so we talked like george or martin and dragons is obviously very popular these days but what would you see as the other c- conventions of the fantasy genre that if somebody was writing fantasy they should include i think the world building side is, is maybe the most important just because people expect to escape into a different world of fantasy obviously it depends on the type of fantasy you want you like reading like harry potter for example is a is set in a real world um, yeah. so I do think the world building is a big part. People love magic systems as well. Um, that's a big part as well. So yeah, exploring different kinds of magic systems, original races and monsters and things like that. Yeah. I kind of got a bit fed up of all the stereotypical fantasy things like dragons and wizards and all things like that. And I'm more interested in sort of the lower fantasy stories where it's just more about people, but in a fantasy setting. So would George, would Game of Thrones be higher fantasy or lower fantasy? See, I think Game of Thrones is a bit of a, a confused one because there are elements to it where it's really low fantasy and it's just about people. Um, yeah. But then all of a sudden you've got dragons and White Walkers. So I always yeah. say the first book in Game of Thrones is a low fantasy and it's maybe one of the best low fantasy stories out there. And then it does get a bit more fantasy-ish on the, uh, the scale. And is fantasy a genre you've always wanted to write? Yeah, I think it captured my imagination when I was younger, like The Hobbit. Yeah, and, um, that's a great book. Yeah, 
and going to places like Ireland as well um, on holiday. These places are just like, they are like something from a fantasy world sometimes and I've got a pretty wild imagination. So fantasy is always something that I've enjoyed, but I do, I do like other genres as well. So when you're, just to go back to world building again, could you just talk a little bit about your process for world building as in how are you doing it? In what type of writing tool you're doing it? Is it visual? Is it with words? Is it with pen and paper or just some other process? Yeah, I think world building, there is a lot of, it's working out what to focus on because if you've got to create a world to realistically build that entire culture and physical setting, it's going to take you so, so long. And we just don't have the time to do that, to be honest. So I pick maybe, I like to build a physical setting first and using the map can really help to do that. Um, place all your rivers and your mountains and whatnot. And then when it comes to the cultural side of things, I just try and pick things that are relevant to the characters. So Game of Thrones, there's a lot of in there about like the music and songs and poems and whatnot. So that they're all cultural things that help to reveal the wider world and make it feel alive and lived in. So in Parise Laments, I used to do little, well, I introduced little things like um, games that children played. So there's a, a game in there that's loosely based on hailing. Yeah. <laughs> so I have some kids playing hailing in the background and then um, just drop, like I like characters that are having, like secondary characters having their own conversations in the background and you catch snippets of it. And I think little details like that, which readers so far of the book have said they've really enjoyed and makes the world feel alive and lived in, which is what we want. And a prior's lament is, a shared world, as in you collaborate with other authors who have characters in a different universe. Yeah, that's an, it was a very interesting idea to me at first because you share the world building aspect of it. So when it came to writing Pariah's Laments, I was given a sort of foundational story. These are the rules, the laws of the world, and you've got to shape your story around it. So that was a bit frustrating at times because it's a limit to your freedoms and no one likes that when they write dirty, so. No. Uh, <laughs> so there was a few give and takes, but it's a lot easier, I think, because you're not having to build everything on your own. Yeah. The tricky side, I think, is weaving everyone's stories together. So how, how many authors collaborated on creating the world? At the moment, there's five of us, and then there are a few sort of people who dip in and out, so... Um, People will read stories and then if they get an idea for a short story set in that particular region or part of the world, then they can add to that world and just yeah. keep developing it. And I think that the more writers that get involved, the harder it will be to weave yeah. everything together or to come up with original ideas or write with more freedom. So who who holds the keys to the world? Who decides what goes in and what goes out? So that would be the editor-in-chief, J.M. Williams. He's another fantasy writer, and he sort of created the origin story, and he's populated the world so far with a lot of st good stories too. So, um, yeah. yeah, he's... This is, this is also your co-host for, for your podcast. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's the boss man. And did he come up with the world and then invite you to work with him, or did you approach him with your story and, and think it would be a good fit for his world? Yes, I, um, I think he, he started... I don't know how long he'd been working on it, but it was a good while with a, a few other different authors. And then I think for whatever reason, other people left and he was looking for other people. So I applied 
uh, yeah. with this island of it. And yeah, he <laughs> it's like a job. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seemed it felt like a job to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It's been a lot of fun, and it's just been nice working with other authors because it can be such an isolating thing writing. It can be, yeah. And did he give you a set of rules for the world, or what? Or what did he give you so you could refer to yeah. when you were working on your story? It's mostly the origin story, so everything's got to tie back to that. So yeah. particularly with fantasy, if there's magic systems and whatnot, there's there's foundational stories to everything. So it is a bit restrictive, to be honest. And we did uh, did have the odd little disagreements here and there. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Wasn't it Twilight that started off as fantasy fiction? Yeah, in, I think so. in another world or Fifty Shades of Grey in somebody else's shared world. I think I think it was one of those two. So when you were writing a prize lament, did did you have to give it then to him to see before you could go to the next stage? Yeah, so there's a pretty rigorous edit, editing process. Um, I mean, it's an indie press, but it's we have high standards, so there is beta process for um every writer so there's like a buddy system where everyone gets paired up with a beta reader um, yeah. and a fellow writer who's part of the um community as well and so everything gets read and then everything gets edited and then edited again editing alone probably took about 18 months yeah. so the writing isn't a big part of it i don't think i think it's maybe nine twelve months of the writing and then it's all editing then after that and do you all agree on an editor beforehand that you should work with or do you have some other way of finding an editor yeah, there's there's definitely we've got like a roster of editors that we work with, and I was lucky. The editor that I work with, Anna, she's she gets the way I write and she yeah. enjoys the genre as well. So it was really helpful having her insight. Okay, so when you finish the book, does having it in a shared world make it easier to sell it? I think it can do. Maybe down the line, I'm I'm starting to see a lot of people who've read Prize the Mentas asking for other books in yeah. the shared world. So. I think that's the aim is to, to sort of keep releasing books, quality books. And then if people want more, then they don't have to wait for the author to write the next book. They can go and read another author. Yeah. And do you do a revenue split with the other people in the publishing company? Yeah, it's just it's really favorable with the publishing company. It's just 50-50 down the middle. Okay. Because we're all authors, what happened is we all had a, a book deal with a, a publisher called Fiction Vortex and they collapsed during the lockdown. Oh, oh, sorry. So there was like four or five of us with book deals and we all had books ready to come out as well. So we thought, let's just band together and make our own publisher. So we, I'd be in writers. We, we wanted to make it for the writers whilst at the same time balancing all the, um, the costs of publishing and whatnot. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's something that's de- developing and growing and it's, it's very much aimed and built for authors. Okay. Okay. And do you guys have plans to put it together a series? Or box set all, all the books together? Yeah, most definitely. I think there's a few box sets already knocking about on Amazon that J.M. Williams has done. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's quite exciting really because it's new and there's a lot of potential and we're just going to sort of do our own thing. And if readers love it, then all the better. But uh, it'd be very much led by the readers. And if they tell us they want things, then we shall deliver. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good promise to make yeah. so when did the Pariah's Lament come out and what are you working on at the moment so Pariah's Lament is out oh it came out on the 17th of March oh St. Patrick's okay. Day um, because there's nothing else to do on St. Patrick's Day this year no it does not <laughs> no, and I was hoping lockdown would be over so I could at least go yeah. to the pub no fortunately not <laughs> nothing like that so that was uh, that's when it's out and then yeah just gonna promote it as much as possible. So we're we're recording this on the sixteenth. 
St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow. Do you mean it's out tomorrow? It's out tomorrow, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, it looks like it's out when I look up, I was looking at your site. Uh, okay. Yeah, so out tomorrow, yeah. I still have a little celebration, but quite got quite a lot planned. It's very strange releasing a book in the middle of lockdown. Um, yeah. You can't really do author events in person, which is what I was hoping to do. But it's it's been quite interesting as well because it's forced you to be a bit more creative in what you, you can offer people. So I'm doing yeah. a, a writing workshop, uh, which is tomorrow evening about all about uh, how to write a fantasy novel and okay. my experiences writing for Isle events. Because um, I love going to author events, but sometimes... I don't really like listening to the author reading out the, the latest book. Um, I, I just want to hear about the writing and how they wrote it as opposed to them actually reading it out. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I went to an author event for an Irish author a few years ago and he read out one of his older stories. And yeah. when he read it out, my reaction was, that's not how I imagined those characters talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was his, his book. I mean, that's the, you know, he's allowed to read them whenever he wants. So how, did you get, how are you getting people for the workshop? Is it through social media or word of mouth? Yeah, um, using the mailing list a lot. I've, I've got my own writing group, so a lot of people from that have subscribed. And then I do, I'm a digital marketer by day, so I use a lot of the techniques that I've, I've learned in that job to promote and get things done. So I think it's about 300 odd people booked in so far. Oh, so that's a lot. It should be, uh, should be good. I just need to, it just adds the pressure. I need to make sure it's good now. <laughs> so I have a background in digital marketing as well. I'm, I'm curious what's, what's working for you right now for selling books. So, Selling books, I, my fantasy writer's handbook is what I'm um, I'm promoting continuously at the moment. So I'm using a lot of Facebook ads yeah. and just a lot of A and B testing just to see what works, what demographics are responding well to ads. And you do have consistent sales. I don't think it's going to set the world alight, but like some people claim is possible. But um, just a, a steady, consistent bit of income from that book. Um, yeah. Previously, I didn't get anything at all, so I'm, I'm taking it step by step. And uh, yeah, I do a lot of email marketing as well. So I do focus a lot on building and growing my mailing list. And then I have a lot of automations in place. So when people join, they can go on different journeys depending on what they're interested in. And then ultimately down the line, there'll be promotions and invitations for them to to check out books yeah. to buy. So yeah, what about you? Have you had much um, success lately? With Facebook ads, uh, mixed success with Facebook ads. So I stopped running them because they were taking up a lot of time and wasn't earning that much from them. I've had good success with Amazon ads, uh, yeah. although the platform has gotten more complicated to use, which means it's more time consuming. But I still use them. I use the automated ads that they have and they yeah. work quite well. Uh, I'd say email marketing works the best. And the way I grow my email, my email list is from content marketing, which is quite easy for me because I write nonfiction. Yeah. So. That's worked quite well. So when I was using Facebook ads, my strategy was to send people to the Amazon store and have a tracking code on the Facebook ad. Yeah. Is that what you're doing or have you some other approach? Yeah, I use a universal booklink and just um, direct people towards the Amazon store. Um, I yeah. know a lot of people use landing pages, don't they? Yeah, I tried that approach as well. Yeah, I just think if there's too many steps involved, you're going to lose people. Because I noticed that when you use landing pages, people click on it. And then only so many people actually click further. Yeah. Because, um, I, I mean, I follow like Nick Stevenson is a, a very good book marketer. Um, yeah. He likes landing pages and there's too many steps in his process, I think. I mean, it works for him. So I don't know why it doesn't work for me, but I just think there's too many steps. So 
just want people to give lots of people uh, lots of information in the initial ads and then take them straight to the place where they can buy it. And Could you give people an idea of what your budget is for your ads? I spend as little as possible a day. So what I will do is um, put a pound on a day or two pounds a day and I'll yeah. test that ad set um, if it responds well and if I've got pretty low cost per click, sort of like 18 pence a click, then yeah. I will increase that then. And I think that's the problem. Once you find that right sort of ad set, you can scale it. And that's one of the benefits of, of Facebook ads. Um, yeah. And yeah, I do think it does work. I think I don't really spend more than £5 a day on an ad set. And I usually, if I spend £5, I'll sell an ebook, £2 profit on top of that. So you only have to sell three ebooks. And good days, you might make 10, 15, 20 pound profits. So well, that's up pretty quickly. Yeah. If you do that, if you look at that, 20, 20 pounds a day just for yeah. pretty much doing nothing over the course of a month, extra 600 pounds a month. So yeah, no, that's, that's, that's quite a lot sniffed, for a side yeah. income. No, it's not, not. And if you're, are you selling your writing book, your book about the craft? Yeah. That's just, at the moment, it's just a book about the craft. And yeah. I, I think what I'm trying to focus on at the moment is creating products that, um, solve people's problems and uh, that seems to be a big one at the moment yeah. in the world of SEO like, I like I follow a lot of uh, Neil Patel's stuff I don't know if you're familiar with Neil Patel I, I am yeah yeah am. yeah so I, I like his content because it's all driven by the need to solve people's problems and it's really helpful so like I'm trying to do a writing course this year and I'm going to try yeah. and launch that and use ads again mostly for that one and just automate the whole process so the other reason I stopped doing ads was it was taking up an increasing amount of time. Could you give listeners an idea of how many hours you're spending on the ads themselves? Not too much, to be honest. I get once I get an idea of what kind of interests the target, I will just spend quite a bit of time building like a main sort of ad set, and then I will chip away at different uh, interests. I will narrow the focus or broaden the focus. So I just keep an eye on things. And, and like I say, once you've got one ad that is consistently giving you some traffic and some results, you can just keep growing that and tweaking that one. So I find yeah. more tweaks than anything else rather than wholesale changes every time you, you do a new ad. And are you targeting interests or readers of other of similar books? Or yeah. readers of similar books? Okay, It's more the interests. So if I... My writing books about fantasy, so writing fantasy, so I can target people who like fantasy books, who like writing, who like fiction writing, and then I can look at specific fantasy authors to narrow that down further. And I found the more you can narrow it down to sort of 20, 30,000, 40,000 people, that's when you sort of really start to, you, you want to get conversions as opposed to traffic. And the narrower your focus is, the more likely you, you are to convert. That's yeah, what I find anyway. Yeah, no, it's good, it's good advice. It's good advice. So, in the book itself, you also talk about the mental strategies of the craft. Uh, you focus on issues like uh, battling self doubt and maintaining focus. So, as somebody who's you know running ads, you're working in digital marketing, and you're collaborating with other authors. Like you've got a lot going on, Richie. So, how do you maintain focus on actually creative work? I'll be totally honest, the focus on the creative side has slipped since I've, uh, <laughs> I've started this digital marketing job. Um, yeah. Because you, you just get drawn into the, like, building your website, SEO, 
uh, ranking for keywords and things like that. And I don't know, I think I will definitely get back to the creative writing side of it in time. It's just what I want to build something that can just run so that when I do release more creative work, um, it's the system's there. I'm not missing any opportunities and maximizing what I'm putting out. So, but I do miss writing creatively. So I do try and sneak it in any way I can. So what I'll do now is stuck in traffic or something like that. I'll I'll have like stories that I'm sort of writing on me and I'll just keep adding to them on my phone or writing little notes down. Any little snippet of opportunity, the snippet of time, I will try and squeeze it in with something productive instead of just browsing through social media. Yeah. Well, it's hard to do everything. (laughs) There's only so much time in a day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and what about uh, battling self-doubt? You also talk about that in your book. Yeah, that was, I don't know about you when it comes to writing, when particularly writing a fantasy novel or a novel generally, it's such a big project. And there's there's not many people there to share in that experience as well. So you, you're never really sure whether it's any good, whether you're on the right path, whether you've you've made the wrong decisions with your story. And yeah. I'm someone who who struggles with a lot of doubt and things like that generally. So I was always worried that no one was going to read it and that was rubbish. So I was always just really nervous when I was sending it out to like advanced reviewers. And thankfully now there's some positive views come back in and it uh, eases your, your mind a bit. But it's definitely a big demon for a lot of writers when they're writing a novel in particular because, like you say, there's just nobody there but you. So hmm. I don't know about you. Have you experienced much problems with doubt and procrastination and things like that? You mentioned an interesting point about working on something and not sure if you're going in the right direction. So I recently sent a manuscript to an editor and the, the manuscript was fairly polished because I work on it quite a lot. But I'm thinking that maybe I should have sent it when it's a little bit more unpolished and gotten feedback sooner. Yeah. But I was worried if I sent something that wasn't quite polished you know, she would say, send it back to me, but I still have to make the changes anyway. So, yeah. So I, I could, in, in short, I could have saved time if I'd accepted some of the issues with the manuscript and gotten feedback sooner. So yeah. that's probably the issue I have at the moment. Yes. Like I say, it's just when you, you're just not sure, are you? And sometimes you get excited by an idea, but yeah. it's not necessarily the right idea. And then you just yeah. have to go back and rewrite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you work on digital marketing because that's a fantastic skill set for testing ideas. I know. I just love talking about it as well now. It's just um, it's taken over my life a bit now, the marketing side of things. But it can do, yeah. Yeah, no, it can be all-consuming. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I know you're fine. So, Richie, where can people find your books or learn more about you? So, my website, www.richiebilling.com. Um, it's got everything on there. We've got books, got free short stories to read, lots of writing tips and guides. Um, links to the podcast as well if you wanted to check that out. And Pariah's Lament is available worldwide now. Um, you'll be able to get it on Amazon, every pretty much every seller, and hopefully you should be able to get it in like local high street bookstores. If they haven't got it stocked, you can ask them to stock it uh, to order it in for you, and that won't be a problem. Thank you, Richie. No problem. Thanks very much for having me, Ryan. Lovely to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. 
more reviews more ratings and more shares will help more people find the become a writer today podcast and did you know for just a couple of dollars a month you could become a patreon for the show visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes your support will help me record produce and publish more episodes each month and if you become a patreon i'll give you my writing books discounts on writing software and on my writing courses Thank you.